0: Welcome to the Flamin Connect podcast, a podcast focused on the individual pieces that make up the larger community of people together doing what's right and making a difference. Today's hosts, we have myself, Trevor Grindy, Regan Kuntz, and Mitch Flamin. Um, your opinion on cheese and apple? Uh, I like them separately. I don't oh, know. Really? Yeah. I don't I don't see the uh, yeah, I don't know.
1: Up until about 3 4 years ago, didn't really try it, but now every time I cut up an apple at home, I will have a little bit of cheese with it. There's just a different there's a different flavor and texture that comes out of combining those two ingredients that you don't get separate. Say that again, with which? I, uh, cheese and apple. Like I like uh cut up apples with some cheese slices. That's insane. Or some people do apple pie with a slice of cheese on it. No, that's a hard no. This is insane. Mm. I get, and like, have you tried it? Why would you uh, why would anyone apple pie so do do me a favor cream. try it so because it's a different flavor all right,
2: so I can say this in my household, uh majority of the people in it are addicts to mm-hmm. cheese, myself included so mm-hmm. I could put it on just about anything. I could literally open the fridge be looking for a snack and be like, hmm, let's cut a few pieces of cheese here. don't <laughs> don't even need the crackers <laughs> or the cold cuts just yeah. just and if there's sometimes there's a container of shredded cheese in there, yeah. that's like. Yeah, that's like dessert.
1: Do you know that shredded cheese tastes different than just cheese yeah, sliced up? Is, is you that? know
2: what? Why is that? Because well, it's, it's better. Have to do there. I don't know, but it's a thousand times more addicting. <laughs> Same thing. These memories keep popping up on my phone now. Warner's six, but for the first few years of his life, like once he started getting teeth, you would find he was tall enough. He could pull his stool up, and then he could get in the drawer where the cheese was in the fridge, so we had to move it. But... He would just take, like, blocks of cheese, and you would just find... And it was too bad. cause cheese is expensive, mm-hmm. and it would just be going to waste. He'd go in the fridge, he'd grab a block of cheese, and he'd just walk around the house... Gnawing at it, Munch and then cheese. just leave it laying somewhere. So by the time he came back, it was pretty. You had to cut out the hard spots, yeah. but like you get to see these
0: little kids' teeth, <laughs> it and it's like, honey, he did it again. Yeah. Like, but when you think about it, that's a healthier snack than like mm-hmm. chips or cookies or mm-hmm. crackers, or like than most things. Yeah. yeah. So it's a good healthy yep. snack.
1: Yeah. I like uh like a really sharp white cheddar uh, mm-hmm, with some wine. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like uh you get some really salty, crumbly
0: cheese. Oh yeah. Here's the did you know category. Did you know the top yielding crops in the world are corn, wheat, rice, potatoes? We covered those. The next ones on that list are cassava, soybeans, sweet potatoes, sorghum, yams, and plantains. I'm surprised soybeans
1: would be under potatoes. Yeah, if that's the six. case. But I would say soybean would be the. Oh, you said soybeans number six. So number there's six. a five there. Five is cassava. Because what is cassava? What is that? I don't even
0: know. Cassava is a woody shrub of the spurge family, native to South America. Although a perennial plant, cassava is extensively cultivated as a annual crop in tropical and subtropical regions for its edible starchy tuberous root. It's a major source of carbohydrates. Cassava is predominantly consumed in boiled form, but substantial qualities are also used to extract a cassava starch called tapioca, which is used for food, animal feed, and industrial processes. It's one of the most uh, drought-tolerant crops capable of growing on marginal soils. Nigeria is the largest producer of cassava. Thailand is the largest exporter. Cassava is classified as either sweet or bitter, both sweet and bitter varieties of cassava contain uh, nutritional factors, uh, toxins as well. The bitter varieties contain larger amounts, uh, so they have to be produced uh, or properly prepared before consumption. Uh, improper preparation of cassava can leave enough residual cyanide to cause acute cyanide uh, intoxication, goiters. Uh, partial paralysis or even death Hmm. so one of the largest produced (laughs) commodities in the world is toxic will kill you yeah unless you do it like like blowfish (laughs) (laughs) unless you produce it or prepare it properly it's not healthy for you and now you know Okay, pop quiz. In 2001, the Saskatchewan Rural Municipality of Turtle River declared an agricultural state of emergency. The reason for this state of emergency was A, drought, B, floods, C, infestation of grasshoppers, D, infestation of gophers, E, infestation of turtles. Well, wow, it's
2: either <laughs> grasshoppers or gophers, I think. Uh, I'm going to go with gophers. Sorry, it might not be those. reds,
1: that's where my head's at. You well, pick. I, I, so you. I, you guys tell me, I'm is Turtle River by Turtle Lake? Is that geographically where we're talking here?
2: Not answering this.
1: <laughs> then I'm wrong. <laughs> so then I'm going to be way off because I'm going to, if it's up north where I think it is, then it wouldn't be a grasshopper issue. And it would either be gophers or potentially flooding. I will
0: go with flooding. Flooding? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, yeah, the answer is gophers. There you go. Gophers, yes. The Richardson ground squirrel numbers were especially high, Uh, through the prairies in 2001. Many farmers complaining that the rodents were devastating their crops. The uh, municipality of Turtle River uh, declared the agricultural state of emergency primarily as a means of calling attention to the problem in hopes of convincing politicians to do something about it.
1: Mm, Interesting. Can we call a state of emergency here for... um those Richardson ground squirrels he's talking about
0: that we have an abundance of. (laughs) They scare the daylight side of you when they come out of like a piece of tubing or something. (laughs) they do. (laughs) They do. Well, last year
1: we had some in the building again and, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, um, some of us um, took the effort of bringing some fertilizer in from Trevor's sheep farm and um, making sure the soil was ready for a garden. Little did we know, after about two weeks of planning said garden, the golfers
0: had decimated the. Uh, decimated. I
2: see mm-hmm. what you did there. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, it's time for Now You Know. It's uh, where we talk to people, experts in the egg industry. Today we're going to talk about the importance of pH levels. So, David, how does pH relate to the products we use in egg?
3: pH is a baseball bat, right? You got, you got basketballs, baseballs, and, and golf balls in a 55-gallon drum, and you change the pH a large distance over a short period of time, it's like hitting that trash can or that, that 55-gallon drum with a baseball bat. Okay? Depending on how big the baseball bat is is whether or not your balls fall out. Mm-hmm. Okay? So on the pH spectrum, there's, you know, it goes from 0 to 14, and each unit is is not one unit. It's unit of ten. It's a logarithmic scale. So going from six to seven is not one step, it's ten. Going from six to eight is a hundred. Going from six to twelve is ten to the six. It's a million.
1: How much is pH um, analyzed through either the fertilizer process or even uh, from a, a herbicide application? Um, and do you feel like it's it's something that should be looked at far greater than an today?
3: Absolutely. When you when you have two pieces on the pH spectrum that are leagues and leagues apart from each other, that's that's the that's the essence of an acid base reaction. So what you are creating in that in that situation is that if you have something that is a low pH unit like a herbicide, we'll, we'll take Roundup, uh, for, for example, it's, its pH is about four or four and a half. If you mix that with something that's pH eight or nine, you're mixing something that is 10 with five zeros behind it difference in terms of overall pH. And so you're, you're essentially mixing a weak acid with a weak base, and you're going to create a salt. You're going to create something that you may not have intended to make in the first place. Mm-hmm. And also as a result of that, you, you plug get— Plug
1: booms, plug nozzles. Exactly, yep.
3: exactly. And and so the, the heat that's generated off of that as well. We, we experience that when we do acid-base reactions with our— um, liquid fertilizer manufacturing is that we are heating up because we're taking things that are highly alkaline and ha- and highly acidic, and we're mixing them together in mm-hmm. a controlled fashion. But one of the things that does happen is that we increase our temperature dramatically when that when that is experienced. Mm-hmm. And imagine if you're doing that in a poly tank as a farmer. Yep, you you run the risk of melting something that you know cost you money,
1: mm-hmm. or having a big lump at the bottom of that tank and not the ability to get it out without cutting a hole in that tank
3: exactly yeah yeah there's there's plenty of ways that you can turn something into plastic Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's really interesting stuff thanks a lot david we're going to move on to the last segment of our show today and that's an interview with our special guest and our guest today is phil Flamin. welcome thank you now the first thing that uh people are going to want to know that aren't really f- intimate with uh, Flamin' company or Flamin' family is where do you fit in, in the in the Flamin' tree, the family tree?
4: Uh, it would be Uncle Frank, Frank Flamin'. Um, that's where it all started, I guess. So yeah, my dad and Frank were brothers, and uh, I've worked with uh, Frank's
0: sons and Rudy and Don and Steve. Good. Uh, so what was it like? Um. Uh, on the on the farm, like growing up, A uh, growing up on my farm. Yep. Uh,
4: just like every other Flamin family, <laughs> ten ten kids and big. <laughs> um, just just uh, workers. Yeah, just workers and worked the land. And I'm from a family of ten, so I got four or three brothers and six sisters. And uh, yeah, it was just it was just one big family.
1: Where do you fit in there in the ten?
4: I'm the youngest of 10. You're the youngest of 10. My dad called me the caboose.
1: <laughs> so we talked about that a little bit today on how, and this is more on the Mitchell side, is that his brother kind of left a wide wake for him to really not get a lot of quote unquote parenting when he was uh, growing up. Was that the same for you? Did your siblings uh, leave a wide wake for you to do what you wanted to do?
4: Well, yeah, I would have to say, cause there was three oldest brothers and then six sisters. And then me,-hmm. So, yeah, it was kind of like wide open for me after they had <laughs> six girls in a row. so
2: did your girls did your sisters ever dress you up in like doll clothes and stuff because you were the youngest?
4: Uh no I don't they kind of left me alone
1: with that <laughs> that kind of stuff. <laughs> so what was it like growing up on the farm? Did you guys uh, did did you get put to work right away, or there was enough stuff for your brothers and sisters to do? You didn't have to work really hard, or how how, how was it growing up?
4: No, we worked hard right yeah. off the hop. I yeah. was driving a standard truck at like eight nine years old, yeah. and our land was scattered. If I always had an opportunity at 11 years old to drive the tractor and the cultivator through town instead of around town, and <laughs> go through town so all my buddies would see me. Yeah. But uh, no, we worked hard and worked started young.
1: Did that work ethic? That's kind of what made you the person you are today. Right? I would say so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Were you guys cattle farmers too or just grain farmers?
4: A little bit of cattle. Not big cattle, but we had cattle because you're raising 10 kids, so you're not going to the store to buy steak. You're raising your meat and you're... Uh, milk and cows and uh, yeah yeah. so we had a little bit of cattle just to feed the family I guess.
1: What's your earliest memory you can recall? Is there a story or anything that you remember?
4: I remember as a young kid uh, playing outside and on one of our old sheds we had a kind of a chain that hung down to kind of keep the door latched and as a kid and you see these frosty icy Mm-hmm. Things like every kid did, yeah, yeah, you, had, yeah. you had to lick it. <laughs> <laughs> and so I licked it and my tongue got froze to the chain. Yeah, And well, with a big family, you weren't out there for very long because there's enough siblings yeah. running around the yard at the same time. So yeah, after about five or 10 minutes, somebody found me with my tongue stuck to this chain and,
0: <laughs>
1: and uh, yeah, yeah.
4: Got, got me off.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> what is the most trouble you got into as a kid? Oh... Like, I guess maybe not as
4: a kid, but just as a teenager growing up, yeah. just too many to.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> There's got to be one significant one that stands out.
4: Uh, I guess getting caught stealing gas from a neighbor would be a pretty bad reprimand for my dad. Oh, yeah. That stealing gas from somebody that he knew. Yeah. Yeah, and then getting caught doing it wasn't a good thing.
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What did the reprimand look like?
4: Oh, just they didn't really, they didn't really have to ground you. You just knew at the time that you weren't really going to be doing anything fun for a while. This is bad. Yeah, this is bad. <laughs> yeah. Do you remember what your first car was? First car was a uh, Camaro Z28.
1: Oh yeah. What year?
4: Uh, Eighty two. Me and cousin Steve actually flew to Toronto and then we drove it home. Oh, yeah! Over five days, came t- ho- came home through the states and got in trouble in Chicago and Milwaukee and <laughs> yeah, T bars out and I was going to say tunes, T, t-, 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 rooms? t- yeah. Tunes going and yeah, it was a that was a blast.
2: <laughs> so fast forward to high school's ending. You're probably at the stage where most people in high school are like, why well, should probably do something with my life? What did you decide to do after you graduated? You know,
4: why did you have to bring that up?
2: <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> well, I always refer to it as my college days. So um, after high school, Cousin Rick was applied and got accepted into, uh, it was called STI in Moose Jaw. And I was just going to, Find work or do something. And probably about the third week of August, like uh, four days before his school started Moose Jaw, he just says, Phil, why don't you come to Moose Jaw with me and come to college? We called it college.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: it's a nice word. And uh, I said, Well, I didn't really even apply to anything or don't even really know what I'd be considering even taking. He said, Well, let's just figure it out when we go. So as we're driving to Moose Jaw, we're going around Ring Road in Regina. Half hour out of Moose Jaw now. Oh, I don't know. Let's—I don't—radio and TV electronics. That sounds like something fun. I could just fix TVs and radios, and yeah, let's let's do that. So, went to Moose Jaw, and uh, I should have known right then and there that I was ended up going to be coming into sales because I went into that office, registration office, and uh, I said I'd like to know what's going on if I'm starting school in two days. And she goes, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I just need to talk to your supervisor. (laughs) And she goes, why do you need to talk to my supervisor? I said, because you're probably not the one that's going to be able to help me out through this. So, what do you mean? Well, my cousin Rick sent his application in. I sent my application in the same time last March. He got accepted. He got a letter saying that he's going to school here, and I haven't heard sweet F from you guys. And I want to know if I'm going to school and if I got to rent a place and what's going on school starts in two days well sir what's your can I just please talk to your supervisor <laughs> no that wasn't good enough so then I told my story that I two or three times and finally got to the person that I wanted to talk to and they're like whoa whoa just slow down sir like we let's Let's look into this further, and we don't seem to have an application. I say, oh, for the love of God, now you can't find my application. Like, I sent it in in March. <laughs> I'd never sent in an application, by the way. <laughs> so anyways, after about a half hour of... Uh yelling and screaming and exchanging words stroked him a check for i don't know what the hell it was 500 bucks or a thousand bucks and i'm going to radio and tv electronics (laughs) right on (laughs) so then we go go house or apartment hunting and found an apartment to stay in and anyways to kind of make a long story short the radio and tv electronics thing didn't go very well because i quit before they kicked me out after two months
2: so is that making a long story short or just making a short story <laughs> what it is? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was pretty short, yeah. pretty short lived.
4: Yeah. So I lived in Moose Jaw then for another month or two after that, while Rick still continued to go to school. He'd come home at lunch and I'd be sitting on the couch having a beer, watching, <laughs> watching the soaps, and I would got to bed like at four in the morning and he'd be, you know, I'm having so much fun and he's going to school. So after about another month, and Rick quit. So then <laughs> <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was right after that, got a few little odd jobs, and then, uh, my dad was driving past Uncle Frank's business or whatever, and says, uh Rudy, Don, can you help my boy out? He needs a job he needs to he needs to do something with his life, so can you help him out and so, yeah, that's kind of where it all started then with flamin' sales was started working in the
1: yard and after a couple of years and just got into the sales. How difficult was it to just start selling? Like to just leave from the office in a pickup truck, head in a direction, just go meet customers.
4: Yeah. It was, it was pretty tough back then. Yeah. Yeah. Just Don put me in a half done with a trail tech five bill transport is what it was. And I just drove around until I seen a farm that had bales and stopped in and it was tough. It mm-hmm. was tough going, and but got to meet lots of people, which I like talking to mm-hmm. farmers. I mean, that's what sales is all about. And I remember doing, did that for like two months and finally drove in the yard one day and Don goes, where's the bail transporter? Where's the bale? Don, I sold it. <laughs> uh, I freaking sold it, man. No way. Yeah, so that was I was <laughs> I was pretty pumped.
1: Yeah. Had twenty thousand miles on it, but you sold it. Oh yeah. <laughs> Lots of stops. Yeah. That's awesome. What uh, do, tell me the feeling you get when you do make a sale. Like I, do you do you generally get excited when this happens or is just old news to you or how how do you just keep the juices flowing
4: uh, it's, still after this? No, time? it still gives you a pretty good high. Yeah. The guy's
1: but, got goosebumps just talking about it.
2: Look yeah. at him.
4: Yeah. No, it's it doesn't matter if it's uh, ten thousand dollar deal or a hundred thousand dollar deal it's the same rush it's the same you know you're you did something good for your customer you're not just taking his money for something you're yep hoping to improve his farm by by what i offered him and uh yeah it's it's still it's it's still a still a rush still a high after all these years
0: so as you go to these farms and you talk to the customers and you, you build those relationships talk about building relationships with your customers and how important that is.
4: Well, that's really what it's all about too, and I think after 35 years, that's why I've been as successful as I am, is these relationships are, they're not, they're not my customers, they're, I look at them as my friends, and um, I think they look at me as their friend, and that's what it's really all about is, you know, knowing them on a personal basis and knowing what hockey team they cheer for and know the name of their dog and their wives and um it's just yeah it's more just a solid friendships yep is what it really is for me it's tough i think for the young guys to start out today that they're knocking on doors and trying to create that get those relationships but for me after all these years it's uh it's not really a job it's
1: yeah but but you did that 30 plus years ago right right. i mean you have to start somewhere and relationships happen over the time yeah you you build trust right exactly so i think though what's a little bit different too
2: you spoke to it but if i would rephrase it you mentioned um so it's not about selling it's about providing a solution Mm -hmm. it's kind of how you said that i think and what i find neat is You're just interested in driving around the countryside and making friends, which really fits, I'd say, your skill set as a likable guy that can usually entertain people. But I think what's neat is in looking at the success you have and listening to how you sell stuff or the requests you come up with after you've sold something, it is always clear that you are 100% working for the customer. And so it doesn't matter if something breaks down and you take it into the service shop. I watch you with conviction talk to the mechanic. This is what's up. This is who the customer is. This is the deal. This is what needs to happen. And I've always enjoyed watching how you just know that. And it's it, I think it really is because you've made friends with these guys. Like you know that. But there's always a Phil story about even when we have rider tickets, it's like, hey, are you, hey, Mitch, are you coming to the rider game? No. Okay, cool. I'm going to take one of my customers. I'm going to use your ticket if that's cool. And you're always doing something with your customers. And it's not even the customers that necessarily spend the most money with you. It's just guys that you truly want to spend time with. And I've always thought that was cool. And I've always thought that if you know, you've know you really put the, the work in over the last 30 years to create a relationship with these guys and they're like, "Oh yeah, this is Phil, he's cool. I also want to drink beer with him." So it's mutual. But these guys that walk in, these these new guys that want to be selling, "Okay, this is the equipment, this is the price." And I imagine you just look and shake your head a little bit and be like, "Oh no, you're missing it." First things first, go get a case of beer. And then go start drinking it with his wife. And then when he comes in, he's like, what are you doing? It's like, okay, hey, I was just waiting so I could drink a beer with you, but you didn't want to drink a beer with me before. And then all of a sudden, you know, the wife's name and the dog's name, and you have to sleep over, and then they realize you're a cool dude. It's kind of something like
1: that. Is, 100%. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, it's you know, even today you know, versus 30 years ago, all the customers can view the equipment online. They can do their own research. They're probably a little more educated than they were back then. But at the end of the day, people still buy from people, right? And I don't think anybody uh, at this table would have bought something from somebody they do not trust, right? So you do a very good job, and you set the example for the young guys of of setting the tone and building trust with the customer to make the sale easy.
4: Yeah, for sure. Like what you had mentioned there, uh, these farmers, they get all the information online. Uh, I've been doing this a long time, and I will be the first to admit that I don't know everything about all of the products that we sell, and um, that's why I'm still coming to all these sales meetings after all these years because today I'm still learning stuff. Yeah. But um, no, you just, the, the farmers, my my friends, my customers, whatever, if they know what they're after, um, they've already done a lot of the homework online. They know what they want. All I ask for is, uh, is the opportunity. Yeah. Don't get every deal. I don't even mind... Losing the deal as long as I had a crack at it,
1: as long as you got the phone call
4: as long as I got the phone call and don't lose very many after all these years but uh, and it doesn't really a lot doesn't even come down to price. It's coming down to the relationship and the the trust that they have with me. They know they're they're not getting a, they're, they're getting good product, but they also know what they're getting the next day with just service and uh, what comes with it with the flamin name.
1: Speak to culture and uh, the difference that Flamin's or Flamin is making in uh, regards to company culture, and and how do you represent that to your customers?
4: I think just when you say culture, I think it's just the the Flamin name just speaks for itself. You know, when Uncle Frank started the company back in '59, that's where the culture started, and the name I think just kind of speaks for itself. Like they know that if you're dealing with Flamin, and they're dealing then with me they know they know what they're getting themselves into yeah you know by just to fly my
2: name so can you explain to me how the sales process has changed in the last 30 years from when you were hauling around a trail tech bail transporter to where you are now and i don't imagine these guys texted you 30 years ago so what does that look like now
4: yeah, we never had cell phones in our trucks. So it, it was just uh, driving around, visiting cu- vis- visiting customers or visiting potential clients, I guess, and notebooks and big binders with uh, sales sheets in it and uh, jotting down names and phone numbers and and at train trade shows was the same thing. You had everything all documented with pens and papers and. Uh, yeah, like you said, handwritten sales orders at at uh, at the shows, and now I don't know with the technology, everything is just all. It, my phone is my bible. Uh, everything gets entered into my phone. Uh, reminders. You're at the lake on the weekend, and you get three guys at phone or text, and you know you can either answer their question right then and there, but I always just enter in reminders Monday morning 8 a.m. I go to work and i've got 10 things to do that's my that's my bible so then when i get to work then i transfer that then to like pen and paper and make my notes and off of my phone i've got to call this guy i got to call this guy got to call this guy um and now at trade shows it's not even so much writing up business like we used to back in the day uh, hey you're busy i'm busy just continue on and go Walk down the street and go sit in combines or look at tractors or whatever you have to do here today. But I'm going to come out next week and I'm just going to come for a visit and and then that's how yeah. taking them from step one to step two to step three. You know, like Uncle Frank would always say, "Why do you got to give them a price on the first phone call?" Come, mm-hmm. You know, become their friend and and um, you know that's how it was. With that's how things have changed. Now is just not going. Going for the gusto, right when I was young, and trying to get the check on the very first phone call or the very first. So it's um, yeah.
1: I got a a quick question. Um, you had mentioned a couple of times about uh, your uncle Frank. Uh, would be uh, Mitch's grandpa. Uh, what is uh, some of the stories you recall about Frank as you started selling? Um, what kind of uh, advice or, uh, or um, direction did he give you?
4: Well, I just learned from the best, I think, because Uncle Frank's door was uh, like growing up working on working in the yard. Uncle Frank was still living in the the old farmhouse there, and um, whatever truck driver would come in with a load of bins, and then, well, where are you going? Come on in, come on in for dinner, and. Customers would come and pick up their bins and they would come to the office and have a cold beer or have a sandwich. And I'm just thinking, well, this is kind of cool. Like, look at Uncle Frank. that's must be another one of his buddies. Well, it wasn't his buddy. It was his customer, but his customers yep. became his buddies. Yep. And that's uh, just the way Uncle Frank treated his customers. I think, uh, you know, then Rudy and Don fell into those footsteps and then I fell into... Their footsteps that Yeah. I think that's
1: the customer service side of the bit. Are there stories about Frank f- like flying parts up to like Hudson Bay or Nippon or areas like that and he would end up staying a day or two and then flying home?
4: Well I just heard of those stories because yeah. I would go to a customer's place twenty years later. What's Frank up to these days? You know, that crazy bugger, he landed on the gravel road here and he brought me some parts (laughs) or whatever. And you heard that, I heard that story like a hundred times. Yeah. From a hundred different people. From a hundred different people. From all over the province. That crazy bugger, he flew under those power lines and he landed on the road and drove his plane into the yard. And like, that's, that's pretty wild.
1: That's cool. That's cool.
2: I remember I was in, uh. Alberta and I pulled in this yard and this guy's talking to me oh so your last name is Flamin yep so I assume Frank must be your grandpa then yeah and he points over to the shop and clearly like there was an upper window in the shop it was a nice shop big shop and um so it had like a second level and he just pointed to it and he says Eighteen years ago, your grandpa came here, and he had to sleep on <laughs> that bedroom up there. and I was like, yeah, well, eighteen later, is, I guess I, eighteen years later, i will see I guess if I have to sleep over here too or not, but
1: Phil, what are you passionate about uh,
4: <clears throat> passionate about sports and traveling, and um lots of people know this, but uh I want to visit every NHL rink in the league. And I do a sports trip every year, lots, lots with buddies. Uh, there's about three trips that I am <clears throat> including my wife in, which would be like Vegas, New York and Nashville. Mm-hmm. And so my wife got to come with me on my sports trip two weeks ago to Nashville. Nice. So I took in a hockey game and that was my 18th rink. Wow. So far, out of thirty-two, and um, I want to do every every rink, and the last one that I'm gonna see is Montreal, yeah, because I don't care for them.
1: <laughs> well, I was gonna ask I, you: Is there one I'm, rink that you're really looking forward I, to? I,
4: I hate the I hate the Habs, and that's uh, twelve rinks to go. So that'll be. 54, 64, be about 66 years old. And I kind of always said it jokingly when I started these sports trips that uh, Montreal will be my last. And I hopefully on that last year when I have to go to Montreal, I die of a heart attack. (laughs) (laughs) But now we're getting actually closer to the end here. And that only takes me to like 66. So I'm hoping I'm going to be living now by then. And we'll just have to do the last Montreal trip, I guess, but right on
0: okay well thanks for joining us today phil thanks phil thanks for having me thank you for listening to Flamin' connect for mitch Flamin' and regan koontz i'm trevor grindy join us next time talk to you soon